Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. On CBS Sports Radio. What's up, my brother? I want permission to come aboard the monster. Asking permission to join a sports talk spaceship? Well, we're all a little crazy. The mothership has connected. The mothership. The, the, the mothership. Let's come aboard. Hey, Tuesday to you, North America. The Mothership has connected. Welcome aboard. It's the four-hour black hole block party. DA with you from the CBS Sports Radio studio in New York. Broadcasting to affiliates nationwide and north of the border. Anchorage to Atlanta, Peoria to Pittsburgh, Kalamazoo, and Waterloo A are on the air. They listening, D.A., everything we saying, D.A., everything. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. It's a Trash Tuesday, which means we are taking out the trash. What is it that's bugging you? What is it that's bothering you? We will read through those tweets and take your phone calls all morning long. The tweets can come in, DA on CBS is the handle, or on the phones, here's your phone number for what is stuck in your craw, football or otherwise, 855-212-4CBS. That's 855-212-4227. This morning here on the show, our old friend Brian Jones, who used to occupy this space, mornings here on CBS Sports Radio a number of years ago with Gio and Jones. He's, of course, a member of the college football team on CBS. He's going to join us to talk a little college ball Saturdays coming up here. Hour number four. This hour, we've got sound check in 20 minutes and in 40 minutes, Tyree Kill claims Patriots fans are the worst in the NFL. Is he accurate? That's coming up this hour here on the program. Next hour, we'll get to our trashes. Last night, doubleheader on Monday Night Football. Not a true doubleheader because it wasn't one after the other. They were kind of simultaneous, separated by just one hour of kickoff time. Early one was Saints and Panthers. Late one was Browns and Steelers. Browns and Steelers had most of the country's attention because of how the Browns began their season with the big win over the Bengals. And, of course, anytime the Steelers are on TV, a lot of national fans are all spread across the country, but also a Steelers team that needed to get off the schneid the way that they played poorly against the 49ers a week ago. Last night was all about defense. From the Steel Curtain to Blitzburg to now the current team, 
Steelers have always been built on defense, as we know, and last night was no difference. They got a pick six, a scoop and score, a series of sacks and tackles for losses. T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and company were all over the place, and it equated to a Steelers victory. Deshaun Watson did not have a great night. Combine that with the injury to Nick Chubb, and that was a night that the Browns would soon forget. Let's talk about this. How far can the Steelers' defense carry Pittsburgh? It is where we begin. You're cold open. It's Watson in the gun from his 25. First down and 10. Looks at a four-man front. There's the shotgun snap. Three-step drop goes. The ball deflected in on the ricochet. It is intercepted. Picked off by Highsmith down the sideline. 20, 10, 5. Touchdown! A pick six for the Steelers on the first play of the game. You're not going to win games turnover four times. Just not. Um, so that was the frustrating part. Um, we didn't play well enough as a team to win the game. Um, doesn't mean the guys didn't fight. Doesn't mean it was great. wasn't great effort. It was. Uh, but we just did too many things that that's that contributes to losing. Watson under center. Steelers showing blitz. Long count. Play action fake. He's back. There's and the ball is out of the Steelers. Yes. Pick it up. And that's T.J. Watt running for the end zone. Steelers with the touchdown. Oh, it was awesome. We we knew, we looked at each other before the play and knew it was play pass. So we knew exactly what the play was going to be. And it was Alex who caused play, the fumble. Flame off the edge, caused the fumble. It was just in the right area at the right time, was able to scoop it and score, and the place went nuts. It probably always is a major component when these two groups come together. There's familiarity and, you know, kind of our edge guys have, have, you know, done what they did tonight, to be quite honest with you, um, in the history of this series or in the recent history of this series. Um, and it doesn't mean that we, we take their efforts for granted, um, but we need it, we expect it, um, and they delivered. It's the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart It's DA's top story. Here he goes. It's your cold open. Your audio there is Kevin Harlan on Westwood One, Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski, Bill Hillgrove on Steelers Radio, TJ Watt via ESPN, and Mike Tomlin after the win. I thought it was appropriate that the Steelers' scores, their defensive scores, bookended the scoring. First play from scrimmage was the bobble on the near sideline, and that led to the pick six from Alex Highsmith, and what a player he is for that Steelers defense. And that leads off the scoring, that's 7 nothing. And then in the fourth quarter, the Browns actually lead 22-19 when T.J. Watt gets that scoop and score after the sack of Deshaun Watson, brings that back 16 yards to the house. That's the only scoring in the fourth quarter, and Pittsburgh goes on to on to win 26-22. So the night began with a big defensive play and a score by the Steelers, and it ended the same way. And in between, I mean, look at these numbers. They had six sacks of Deshaun Watson. They had four forced fumbles, and they had nine tackles for loss. This is going to end up being, I think, the recipe for the Steelers the rest of the way. They got the one big play 71 yards from Pickens, and I think that's what you're looking at. You're looking at mostly a lot of pound the rock with Najee, a lot of Kenny Pickett don't make mistakes. You wait for one or two big plays a game from your offense, but your defense is going to have to carry the day because we just still have not seen, besides the one big play from Pickens last night, 
really smooth offensive efficiency through two games for the Steelers. And let's face it, Kenny Pickett at times looks like a very mediocre quarterback. And this was year two. This is supposed to be where he started to really flourish. And it, it hasn't really happened over the first two games. Now, to be fair, he faced two very good defenses. The Niners, obviously, in week number one, could be one of the best defenses in football. And the Browns certainly have that capability as well. So I'm going to give him a pass until we see him a little bit deeper into the season with a different strata of defense. But this this was a defensive win in every way, shape, and form. They kicked a bunch of field goals. And I think for the Steelers, look, you can win games this way in the NFL. You can get yourself to the playoffs this way if your defense is this good. You can't count on your defense scoring every game, but you can count on a good pass rush, good play, solid top to bottom, good outside linebacker play, and the Steelers have always kind of had that as their backbone. The issue is getting to the playoffs is one thing. Beyond the playoffs, deep into the playoffs is another. And you need explosive play from your offense unless you have a historically great defense, and those are few and far between. So I think it's a good night for Pittsburgh. It's a throwback night for the Steelers. It's a throwback night because they win on the backs of their defense. But it's it's a recipe that unfortunately can only get you so far unless Pickett and the offense really picks up their end of the bargain. Either way, though, rivalry game. We know that the Steelers just crush on Monday Night Football. The Steelers have traditionally crushed the Browns. More of the same last night. They needed that to avoid dropping to 0-2. Steelers get the win last night at formerly Heinz Field, now Acreshore Stadium. All right. On the Brown side of things, the big story from last night is clearly Nick Chubb. And we can bring down the music because this was not a, a happy moment last night as Nick Chubb's knee gets bent the wrong way. It is so it is so ugly that ESPN does not show the replays, but they showed it once inside the stadium, and you could hear the moans, the gasps, the oh, when the Jumbotron showed Chubb's knee go the wrong way. After the game, Stefanski said it's a major injury. He did not specify what ligaments were ripped, but it happened. He said they needed MRI first, but Nick Chubb's out for the season. And this is particularly devastating from a football standpoint, because obviously the the Browns count on Nick Chubb as one of the best running backs in football to be their bell cow. Secondly, this was the knee that Nick Chubb ripped up back in college. So who knows what that looks like moving forward. And everybody, I mean, everybody that has ever been around Nick Chubb has just loved him, that he's as cool and as smart and as professional and as pleasant as you are going to find that Chubb is just the best of the NFL players in terms of work ethic and attitude and how he deals with people and everything so it's it's specifically really a bummer to see that last night and you know Chubb is 27 years old he'll be 28 in December so he'll be coming into his year 28 season next year and that is traditionally when running backs tend to fall off and he's going to have to do it coming off a major knee injury MCL PCL ACL combination of the three we'll see 
But that's really devastating. And this is a guy that's run for 1,000 yards four different times the last four seasons, made four Pro Bowls, and has just been a huge part of the Browns and one of the best running backs in football, and, and he's going to be done. Now, bright side is that Ford ran really well last night. That Jerome Ford picked up the slack. He had 16 carries for a buck six after Chubb went down and had a 69-yarder. He hit the hole. He ran with physicality. He was he was really good. He was really excellent. You know, so there's there's two sides of this story. One is you just you hate everybody hates to see players go down to injury, but specifically somebody who's so well regarded as Nick Chubb is really brutal. But it is the cold hard business of the NFL, next man up, and an injury just opens up the door for somebody else. Ford might be very good in this role. This is why, and I, I don't mean to be crass or cold here, but this is why NFL executives do not pay running backs as well. And that is because it's a very painful physical position, so injuries are bound to happen. And if they do happen like this, you just have to have the next guy ready to go. And... You just can't count on your bell cow to get through the entire season unscathed, so you have to have somebody else. So teams end up splitting their finances between multiple guys, or when one guy gets older, they say, nah, I don't I don't think we're going to pay him another contract because he'll get hurt and we'll have to just push the next guy in, or he'll be used up and we've got to push the next guy in. And the next guy has oftentimes, in many scenarios, been pretty productive. So... You know, it's a good thing and a bad thing that there's running backs that seem to step in like a Jerome Ford, and I don't want to say it's 100% of Nick, uh, of Nick Chubb, but let's just say it's 85% of Nick Chubb. Then teams go, well, you know, we there's guys that can just step in and do that right away. The Chubb thing is tough, too, because of the offseason. He was the one asked, what do you think about all these running backs not getting their money? And he was like, look, I, I feel terrible. I've got my money right now, but... It's just kind of where we are. I don't know how to fix it. And now here is Chubb dealing with the injury. It is why, obviously, running backs want to be paid, and it is why front offices don't want to pay them. It's both just wrapped up in this game and that play. So Chubb is done for the season. Tough for the Browns, and it's tough for the Browns because Deshaun Watson still isn't what he once was. And it's still early in the season. Watson was good enough to get the easy victory over Cincy, but last night, Watson wasn't very good. You know, there's a couple of plays in there where Deshaun Watson so, shows his strength and his ability within the offense to to make some better plays than previous Browns quarterbacks, but there's some moments in there where he looks completely pedestrian. And if you're a Browns fan today and you wake up and go, I don't, I don't really know if I trust Deshaun Watson making us much better than we were before him, I don't blame you. More on this game as we make our way through the morning. Steelers get the victory 26-22. Also had the other one at the same time as the Saints get the victory over the Panthers. Bryce Young looking like a rookie. The Saints defense, two really good starts of the season in the games that they've played. Not sure that that's indicative of a great defense yet. You know, we'll see. But the Saints are a better team than the, than the Panthers. They got the win last night, and the defense really carried the day for New Orleans. 
When we come back here on the show, we've got Soundcheck, your best audio of the day. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. presents this program in color. An educated person can't think he's going to get a recruit by uh, strippers coming in. They can fire you, but they can't eat you. And they run through our ass like through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. The audio you need to hear. It's DA Soundcheck. Welcome back, everybody. DA with you here on a Trash Tuesday. You can always listen to us on hundreds of affiliates nationwide, as well as Sirius XM channel 158. Let's begin with Mookie Betts and Julio Rodriguez as Mookie Betts hosts the On Base with Mookie Betts podcasts. Now, these two guys talking about home run celebrations and comparing them to an iconic video game. Here they are. I'm all in on celebrating. When you're able to do something good in the toughest sport in the history of the universe, man, you got to be able to celebrate. Maybe we should come up because like Jazz doing the, the Euro step, right? Ozuna, when he took a picture down the third baseline. Tatis, when he does a little shuffle thing around third base, right? In the video games, Mortal Kombat, you ever play Mortal Kombat? Yeah, of course. Finish it. Fatality. You know the fatality. It's like, you know you know who you're picking, you know the finishing move, right? And so maybe that's kind of what how we should view it. Castillo's when he, that's like his finishing move, right? I'm I'm going to try and come up with a signature or something. I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> we'll see. I love that idea. I love it. I love the bat flip or the home run celebration being a signature celebration. I love it. I always thought that football players blow a beautiful marketing opportunity by not having consistent touchdown celebrations. I mean, just think, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, Billy White Shoes Johnson doing the funky chick into the end zone – that was the signature, right? Desmond Howard does it once, once after a punt return, doing the Heisman, and everybody does that to him every time they see him. He's known for that forever. There's a few guys like Jalen Waddles, Waddle, smart, but mostly everybody does something different when they get into the end zone. The discount double check thing from you know Aaron Rodgers became a signature. Guys should decide this in college and say, this is what I'm going to do every time I hit the end zone so that I'm marketable in this way. People know that this is my celebration. And in baseball, same exact way. I love this idea. Have a signature finishing move. 
have the yes. Sorry, and D, I was just gonna say, think about what we've seen with the gritty for Jamar Chase and for Justin Jefferson. Those guys have kind of really created it their own, and people look forward to it when they score touchdowns. So in baseball, I think it would make sense for these guys to take advantage of that. Totally. Now, those two guys, is the gritty the only thing that they do, or do they just kind of jump on the gritty when it was it was hot? Well, I mean, I think they kind of popularize it. If that's the way to say that word. Um, yeah, they kind of popularized it. I think it was it was dance people were doing, but once they started doing it, now everybody does it. And you know when those guys score touchdowns, people look forward to them totally. doing this. So, yes. like, I think if people could find other dances that are kind of under the radar that maybe the mainstream world doesn't know, they can kind of latch it and make it their own, that'd be great. Those guys, of course, started that at LSU. So, just like you were saying, starting in college uh, worked for them because now Justin Jefferson can be seen grittying all over Madden if you play Madden 24 um, in the commercials, in the video game. Like, he's definitely made it his own. Yeah, and, I mean, people were looking forward to Gusecki doing a bad gritty. So this can definitely work in baseball. It could absolutely work in baseball. If you do, oh, when that dude hits a home run, he's going to do this, and then kids mimic that, you know, on the playground or whatever, or in the backyard, I think it's a great idea. I really do. Let's listen in on Russell Westbrook as he sticks up for Kavon Looney at an open run. This is, v- this, is this audio via Rico Hines basketball. Lou, you got something today, please? Hey, you're a champ. Yeah, he, he won't last enough eight years. He ain't said nothing. Listen up. He got a lot of, listen to us. Shh. Shh. What do you do very important, man? In the league a long time for a reason, huh? Because he's super athletic, all these crazy tricks and but he do his job, man. Do his job every night. You can tell you know, he know, he know, do his job every night. Good. Uh, you know, all week we've been playing since Monday. Going hard every day. Uh, you know, just want to say, uh, continue to work on y'all game and you know, find out what you're great at. You know, uh, everybody's trying to add too much to that game. Just focus on one thing where you come really good at and hold on to that and, and it make a big difference. All right, so EJ, explain this one to me. Who is the first voice speaking? Who's the second voice speaking? So Rico Hines, he's known to do these open runs. I think he's also now assistant coach for the Sixers in L.A. and a lot of NBA players. They all show up to these open runs and they get working. And Rico Hines is one of the bigger guys who does it. And he's the one saying, hey, we're going to have these players talk to some of these young guys because there are a lot of young players there. Some guys, fringe NBA players, the guys that are, you know, second or third year players. And he wants to have Kevon Looney speak. And you hear him, he says, Kevon hasn't said nothing in eight years. <laughs> as you see him with the Warriors, he doesn't talk very much. <laughs> and right as he's about to speak, you have Russell Westbrook saying, Shh, everybody be quiet. Everybody be quiet. Listen to this guy. He's great. I mean, he's unathletic or, you know, he can't do a lot of cool stuff, but he's good. I'm telling you guys, listen up. I'm just, it's a very, very interesting way to praise Kavon Looney. He doesn't speak. Uh, he's unathletic, and he doesn't do anything cool. <laughs> he's got no signature dance. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, is this? Can we? Is this admirable from Russell Westbrook, or is this questionable leadership yet again from him? I just feel like for me, it, it just. I think it's 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 him. That's that's what I can say. It's the most authentic. I think Russell Westbrook is. Okay. He's very in your face. Um, he is by all accounts a great teammate, but he's also super honest and super raw. And that's him <laughs> saying, "Hey, like I admire this guy, but it's not for anything he really does that's cool or exciting. But you should listen to him. Right. And I think that's, so- that's at the end of the day, that's who Russell Westbrook is." It's Russ being honest to a fault here. Right. <laughs> okay, got it. And finally, let's listen to Matthew Judon 
who this is from his Instagram. He actually finds a wallet on the side of the highway after his teammate left the wallet on the top of a car. Here's Judon. Good story time, baby. So Marcus, as a dumb he put my wallet on the top of a car. Good old air tag saved me, though. <laughs> I was almost at work. I had to come back and track it down. Judon has been a pro bowler the last four years. He's with the Patriots. And this is why it makes no sense that we can't find the F-35 or that we couldn't find the F-35. It's because there's an air tag in Matthew Judon's wallet or a wallet. But there's no air tag to track an F-35. I mean, what are we doing here? It's 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 really bizarre. <laughs> That's the case. And I, I love, first of all, that he just you know completely you know blows up his teammate who left his wallet right. on on the car. And then my question for him is, I mean, who's just giving their teammates their wallets? Like, yeah, that seems I, bizarre. Yeah, like I I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever given anybody here my wallet, even though we're a place where people order food and maybe need people to buy stuff. But even that seemed crazy. And imagine being the teammate. Who left, you know, a multi-million dollar man's wallet on top of a car. You don't know where it is. I would be terrified, especially considering they probably don't make as much money as uh, Matthew Judon. That feels like something once it's lost, you're like, I'm never going to get this back. And yet the AirTag saves him. It's on the side of a highway. I mean, there's just no way that you would ever used to be able to find a wallet on the side of the highway unless it was it was specifically you know, had one of those tracking devices or, or an air tag in it. So I don't I don't have that in my wallet. If my wallet fell off the top of a car, there's no way I'm finding it on the side of a highway. So that's pretty lucky for Judon. And yeah, unless he put it on top of a teammate's car and his teammate drove away and he forgot to grab it back. But that's a sinking feeling when you're like, oh no, my wallet. You just had this EJ with your keys, right? Yep. In the Uber the last week and <laughs> You were talking about this on the PGP, and the Uber guy was cool enough to just come back and bring it back to you with, what, a $20 surcharge? Yes, $20 surcharge. I also gave him the $5 that was in my wallet, so hoping that he gets most of that surcharge plus the $5 I gave him. He was a very gracious man, but yeah, I as someone who has also lost their wallet, not outside, but I, as there's times where I can't find it in my own apartment or house, um, this was like the best commercial I've seen for an AirTag. Like, <laughs> I saw this, and I said, you know what? I really got to do it. My, my parents have been telling me for years that you should get the tile because they know how much I lose my how many times I lose my wallet in my own home. So I saw this and I was like, oh, this is this is it. I, I got to do it now. This guy found it on the side of a highway. I mean, imagine, first of all, driving down. I wonder if anybody who's driving 60, 70 miles per hour on the highway looked over and said, that guy's kind of big to be just a random person walking <laughs> down this highway. I wonder how many people realized that that was Matthew Judon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a great commercial for the AirTag. And that is your sound check. Now, Bogues, are we going to follow up the F-35 story on Stun today? Oh, we are. Okay. All right. So I won't blow the won't blow the 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 finish here with with asking why we didn't have a tag in there, but we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. Yes, it is locked and loaded. Although I don't know what time Stunned is, but whenever it is, I'll be ready for it. Uh, eight twenty Eastern time is when we'll do stun. So we'll follow up to this missing F thirty five and why it didn't have Matthew Judon's air tag in it. Is anybody's <laughs> guess? But only if only it did. If only it did. 
A kind sir is in for headline this morning. His name is Andrew Bogish. Bogeyman, what's up? What's up, everybody? It's all sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Steelers-Browns was off the rails from the opening kickoff. That pick six in the very first play. One play where each team fumbled the ball, but then it <laughs> took true. the bad turn with Nick Chubb's left knee injury. Head coach Kevin Stefanski. Nick's got a very significant knee injury, which is, uh, you know, you feel for the, the person. Um, he's a great football player, as we know but he's an even better person, so we will support him uh, every step along the way. Stefanski could not diagnose the injury, but already knows Chubb will not play again this season. The injury happened, and it was so ugly that ABC would not show the replay. It was a late hit, low or a low hit, I should say, from Minka Fitzpatrick, who, by the way, left the game later on. His own chest injury went to the hospital for evaluation and update on him coming later today. Not surprisingly, Stefanski's offense struggled Without Chubb, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. Uh, now, it's no excuse for performance. Uh, you know, Nick, and Nick, if he was here, would be telling that team they they gotta. You know, there's there's no licking wounds. You gotta move on. But the Browns did lead in the fourth quarter in Pittsburgh last night until Alex Highsmith stripped Deshaun Watson. T.J. Watt returned it 16 yards for points. The Steelers stealing a 26-22 win. Both teams now one and one. The Saints are 2-0 and after a 2017 win in Carolina. Tony Jones Jr. with two rushing scores for New Orleans. Bryce Young threw for just buck 53, was sacked four times in his primetime debut. Just like any week, there's good and bad. You know, you want to obviously correct the bad, get that cleaned up, and then there's there's positive stuff that, you know, we can, we can look at and, and try to continue to build off of. His Panthers now 0-2. Patrick Mahomes getting his money again. He and the Chiefs reportedly redoing his 10-year $450 million pact. Mahomes now guaranteed 210 mil through 2026, the most ever over a four-year period. Since signing that huge deal in late 2020, Mahomes fell to number eight on the highest paid list based on annual value. The Bengals are unsure if Joe Burrow and his calf can play next Monday night against the Rams. And Giants running back Saquon Barkley said to have a normal ankle sprain from Sunday in Arizona. He'll miss three weeks starting with Thursday night at the Niners. Michigan State informed Mel Tucker yesterday it is firing him for cause with roughly $79 million left on his contract. The school's five-page letter says the indisputable facts of Tucker's behavior directed at Brenda Tracy provide multiple reasons for doing this. Tucker has seven days to submit a credible defense. The Philadelphia Phillies keeping their hold atop the NL wildcard chase with a 7-1 win in Philly. All those runs courtesy of five long balls. Philly is three and a half games clear of the Diamondbacks. The Reds, meanwhile, down the Twins 7-3 to tie the Cubs for the last wild card in the NL. The Marlins a half game behind them after a 2-1 home loss to the Mets. And Phil Mickelson released a long social media post yesterday to tell us that he is not betting on football or playing fantasy oh, football because he is again dealing with his gambling addiction. No. Phil writing that the money spent is not the issue. It was that he was being distant with family and friends. Yeah, this was an odd thing. All sympathy for actual addiction, whatever it is, it's real. I get that. But this is 
This is so strange, like, ask for sympathy that I can't play fantasy football. It was, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was weird. It was, it was almost like it, it was like flirting with being like a funny SNL skit. Like, I, I don't know. I just, again, he's got a real problem. We all know that. But this is a weird way to remind us that he's dealing with real things. You know your husband is an addict if he plays so much fantasy football, it's taking him away from the family. <laughs> I mean, what? Phil Mickelson is just, like, addicted to roster changes and right. the waiver wire? He's what watching exactly? the all-22 to find the next backup <laughs> running back to draft? Is this daily fantasy, which I could understand more because there's money on the line every single day or every single week at least, but who's so addicted to fantasy football that it takes them away from the family for the entire... Okay, there's a draft, all right? Maybe you fly somewhere with your buddies, you have a golf weekend, you go do your, your draft. That To me, that would be the extent of how fantasy football could distance you from your family. Yeah, so I don't know that fantasy football was the main culprit here, but this is what he wrote. Most of you will enjoy this football season with moderation while having lots of fun and entertainment. The fantasy leagues will provide banter amongst friends and money won or lost betting won't affect you. I won't be betting this year because I crossed the line of moderation into addiction, which isn't any fun at all. Okay, great. I mean, I'm glad. I guess maybe he's broke again, so he wants to he wants to find another outlet for another segment of cash, and he can be an endorser for all the be careful how much you bet, you know, all that type of stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's never been broke, but he's just bet hundreds of millions of dollars, but. Yeah, this is just, just a, again a weird announcement of like, hey, it's me over here wishing I could fill my flex spot, but I can't because I do it happens too much. I just love the idea of Mickelson so addicted to, to gambling that yeah, the waiver wire he's just pouring <laughs> over. Right, like he's itching wire. at his mouth like on a Wednesday morning when waivers are free again. It's like I can't pick up Tony Jones Jr. now. Honey, you've been in your office for six hours straight. What are you doing? I'm just trying to find my flex receiver for Sunday. Right. He's breaking down Jerome Ford and Pierre Strong post Nick Chubb. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Nice. All right. Thank you, Bogues. When we come back here on the show, Tyree Kill claimed that the Patriots have the worst fans in the NFL. Is he right? It's next. DA, CBS Sports Radio. Uh, yes, our signatures. Welcome back, DA, with you here on CBS Sports Radio. You can watch us as well. Check us out on Twitch or on YouTube. Go to the CBS Sports Radio channels there, or you can watch us at watchda.com. That's also mobile-friendly. It's a Trash Tuesday, so send us your trashes, everybody. I'll read through some of those trashes coming up here shortly. We'll do that throughout the morning as well. After the win on Sunday Night Football, Dolphins wide receiver Tyree Kill waved goodbye to the Patriots fans and then said they're the worst in the NFL. I'll do it again. I'll wave goodbye. And this is my thought on it. I don't know how you quantify worst fan base I mean because is that the guys that give you the fans that give you the most bleep the most crap start to finish 
Is that the ones that come at you the nastiest on social media? Is that the people that have no filter, even in front of kids and things like this at the stadium, and they say really awful things? Or is that fans that you see getting hammered and brawling in the stands? I don't know how you quantify something like that. Tyree kills at the epicenter of, I'm sure, a lot of football hate. He's a really great football player. He's burned a lot of defenses, and he has a bit of a checkered past dating back to college, which is why he dropped in the draft. So, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of fans that use that against him, and he's heard just about everything. But I don't I don't necessarily think, and I worked obviously in Boston, I don't think that Patriots fans are, quote, the worst in the NFL. I don't know who is, but my sense has always been that you know, when it comes to a fan base or a city, certainly Boston has had its black eyes, it's had its bad incidents, it's had its bouts with racism, so I'm not ignoring any of that. All of that has been real, it's been documented, and I think, you know, today it's better than it was 30 years ago, which is better than it was 30 years before that, certainly, but... Boston has a really bad reputation that dates back many years. And so I'm certainly not ignoring all of that. But what I I think usually happens here is that you have this combination of a town, a sports town that's really intense. There's no doubt that Boston's a really intense sports city. It has that northeastern edge, that northeastern aggressiveness that, that that certainly has been part of their DNA for a long time. And now you have a fan base that has seen greatness slip away. And I think that makes a fan base desperate. And so I don't know if what Tyree Kill heard on Sunday night was worse than what he has heard his previous years. But my guess is fan bases tend to get a little bit uglier, a little bit rowdier when tickets get a little cheaper and fans get a little more frustrated And I think that for a long time, in New England at least, it was a tough ticket because they won everything. They always won. And so everybody, whether it was an older couple, a younger couple, a couple with their family, uh, you know, a family with their children, uh, stockbrokers, business people, whatever, CEOs, everybody wanted to be at these games. And now the Patriots aren't that box office anymore. And so... It goes back to your old Patriots days when cheaper tickets, people get in there that are a little bit, you know, maybe more blue collar and maybe people get in there that are actually really drunk. They don't even care about seeing the game. They just get absolutely obliterated and you have some really bad behavior. The the Patriots have worked a long time to try to eliminate that because that's what it was back at the old stadium. They, they never wanted that in the new stadium, but it's inevitably going to happen. And you have a fan base now that has seen the greatness, the dynasty, the Tom Brady years float away, and that puts them on edge even more. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you have more players feeling this way about going to New England. I, I, don't, I don't ever think that Patriots games were a really awful fan base. You might hear it on social media. But I think this might start happening because, you know, if you're if you're a fan that used to go to four games a year or eight games a year, now you're probably down to one or two. 
And now the people that went to zero games a year go, yeah, I'll go out there and we'll get drunk the entire day and the entire night. And Sunday night football lends itself to this. And you're, we're going to say some awful things. So and I, I hate this for any player. I don't think there's any room for it. I mean, of course, you know, booing and old school catcalling and whatever. I mean, no problem there. But if you get really, really nasty is where you got to draw the line. But I just think that, you know, you just might see a fan base like the Patriots who has been used to so many great teams starting to get angrier and more desperate, which is the way that the Patriots fan base used to be before all these all these great teams and great years. But I, I don't really know how you quantify worst fan base in the NFL because, I mean, if the Raiders fan base has always been seen as the worst of the NFL, but that's largely because they, they fight with one another. And, I mean, it's, also, it's not going to affect the players of the field. Philly fans, obviously, is they, they've worn this They've worn this this honor, if you will, for many years over. But I I don't know if anybody says that right now about the about the Eagles and why they're really good. You know, you, if if you eliminate the anger and frustration out of it because the team's actually really good, which then prices out some of the people that might come there angry already, you know, and just getting absolutely obliterated. You start to weed out the things that make the game days a problem. And I think right now, if you're an Eagles fan, I mean, you know, what's there to be that frustrated about that you're 2-0, and but Jalen Hurts hasn't looked like an MVP? You know, so it's interesting how that that thing kind of undulates and goes up and down. Who's the worst fans? It usually is the angriest fans because your team's no good. It's a Trash Tuesday. Hit us up on Twitter, DA on CBS. Jeffrey tweets, DA. I'm trashing inconsiderate dopes who get in the 25 items or less lane at the supermarket with a shopping cart full of stuff, and I was one of them behind these dopes yesterday. Get them out. I am always so paranoid about this. We have a 15 items or less lane, and then everything else is is full go. And I'm always like, ah, let's see, what do we got? I think we're at 15. Like, if I'm at 17, I get worried. And if I'm at 19 or 20, I'm like, I can't do this because I'm just going to have daggers stared at me, even though I don't even think anybody counts. But I just get really worried. I get really paranoid about grocery store protocol. And sometimes... You know, yeah, you'll you'll see somebody in line that has way more than the 15 items or less. You're just like, God, these people just don't care. They're just not even in they're not even in this world to care. It's just they're in I mean, what do they say? That ignorance is bliss. They're just completely ignorant of how many items they have. You know, you got this poor kid there who's working his way through high school scanning. Okay, yeah, what's he going to say? Sorry, ma'am, you have 118 items. You got to get out of this lane. He's not going to say anything. Yeah, and yet here I am, completely paranoid. Scott tweets, I want to trash Sean McVay for kicking a field goal with three seconds left and taking money out of my pocket. Hashtag brutal, hashtag trash Tuesday. We haven't gotten to the bottom of this. Why Sean McVay kicked the field goal down 10 with three seconds to play. We were discussing this yesterday on the show. I don't know if he talked about this at all, but I haven't seen any quotes about it. I mean, maybe, you know, my I surmise simply that 
if he ran a Hail Mary play there on a play that doesn't decide the game, he potentially puts his quarterback, Matthew Stafford, at risk of a big hit or a player getting injured versus just lining up and kicking a field goal where rarely anybody gets injured. But it is a question worth asking. If you're down 10 and you kick a field goal in the final play, what does it really do for you? Ostrogize tweets from trash the Arkansas fans who left the BYU game with time on the clock and the game on the line. That stadium was half empty. It's not a social event. You are there for them. Get your act together. Stop walking around work like a loser. Hashtag trash them. I got to double check on this. I didn't see this. But yeah, if the game is on the line and you've left the stadium, that's a problem. If the game is out of hand, that's one thing. If the game is over and you've already said, I'm just going to beat the traffic, that's one thing. Another thing is if the game is on the line and there's half a stadium empty, stop walking around work like a loser. When we come back, Sam Howell's start to his season. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 